as you know, I'm Lily. But <laughs> Hello, Lily. Thank you so much for waiting so patiently the whole time. Um, I'm excited to get to talk to you. And I wanted to mention that my little sister's name is Lily, so... What a coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good name. (laughs) Well, I was wondering, just what about it? Why do you love space? Why do I love space? That's that's a great question. You really got got to the heart of, you know, what's most important. Why space? There's a couple of reasons. One of them is that... Space holds a fascination for humanity, I think, because it is our next frontier of exploration. It's the next place that we have to go out and to really explore and to discover. It's somewhere that we've never gone before. And so it's, uh, as a Minnesota girl, you'll understand this one. I like to compare it to when it snows outside. And this has happened a couple times in my life because I'm not usually an early riser, but Sometimes I'll wake up really early and look outside my window and see that it snowed and everything is covered in, you know, that perfect snowfall. And there's something about going outside and putting footprints in it and being the first person and it's all just so quiet and it seems like like an alien world out there and and to explore that is really a unique experience. Um, and so I, I liken that to what it would be like for us to push out into our solar system and our universe and see what's out there and to, you know, be the be the first people to go and have those experiences and to see what else we can find. Yeah, I think it's always fascinated humankind, mankind, because, I mean, when we were still discovering countries and islands, I mean, as far as we know, we, we know of all of them. But when we were doing that, it would just be such a thrill to, to discover, oh my god, there's a whole new island, country, state, whatever, that we didn't know about, and it just feels so good to conquer that feeling. So I can, so I can see why you would like space so much. Yeah, absolutely. And the idea, I mean, it goes for that. I love that um, that you're connecting that to our history. It also goes for things like uh, exploring volcanoes or exploring the um, surface of the ocean or exploring the Arctic and Antarctic. You know, all of these things where we've gone out and we've gone to places that didn't originally have humans or, or weren't hospitable to humans, and yet we can go and learn about them and we can see how those communities um, function and what's different about them and whatnot. And that's a, that's a really exciting thing to do. It's exciting in that sense. And it's also exciting in the sense that it teaches us a lot about science and technology and a lot about how to improve our futures. Because if you, we'll we'll use space as the example, because this is a, the big one for space is that it, it improves our technology more than really anything else that we can do. Because when you go to space, can you just go to space and, you know... You would die in, like, two seconds. Yeah, exactly. It's really inhospitable to humans. And so we have to figure out all of these ways to make it work. We have to figure out life support systems and radiation protection. And there's just so much involved. There's so much involved. And every time that we conquer one of those problems, Lily, it not only teaches us how to do that in space... 
but it filters back down to earth and turns into tons and tons and tons of different applications of that same technology that we can use to solve problems here on earth. So it's thinking outside of the box, pushing ourselves into hard situations to come up with innovative solutions then really improves our lives on earth. What is it about Mars that you find so interesting? The red planet. The red planet. Well, first off, Mars definitely catches catches your eye when you're interested in space and when you go outside and you look up at the night sky because it's a fairly easy celestial object to find. So for an amateur astronomer, if you go outside, Mars is one of the um, the one of the first things that you'll probably look for. You'll look for things like Orion's Belt, the Big Dipper, Polaris, and then probably Mars. From a young age, I'd been interested in Mars and and you know kind of fascinated about that. But as I got older, I realized that the reason that we need to send people to Mars and send humans to Mars is because it's it's sitting in this perfect sweet spot for us, where Mars is just far enough away that it's really, really, really difficult to do. So it's far enough away that it's that sending humans there and bringing them back is going to stretch us to the limits of what we're capable of doing. But it's close enough that it wouldn't take like a thousand light years to get there. Yeah, it's close enough time-wise, but it's also close enough that it's possible. It's not something that with our current technology or our place in the universe is impossible. It's, it's possible. And so it's, it's the perfect next step for humans to take to start to gain something known as Earth independence. So the ability to go out into our solar system and our universe and to explore without relying constantly on Earth. Because all of our space missions in the past have been Earth-reliant space missions. So things like going to the International Space Station that orbits around Earth. Let's say that you had a problem on the International Space Station and you needed some extra materials to, to fix it. What do you think you'd do? Go to Earth. Yeah, you'd call up, you'd call up Earth and be like, hey, can you uh, send us these or can you give us the information on how to do X, Y, Z? And even when we went to the moon, it was the same thing because that's a three-day trip. So we were never putting ourselves in a situation where we couldn't rely on Earth, where we couldn't get either information or actual physical assistance from Earth. And that's what we need to do if we want to be able to go farther into our solar system is to learn how to be not reliant on Earth. And so Mars is Mars is going to be our proving ground for that. Mars is going to be how we learn to be, you know, self-sufficient in space exploration, which in the long term will allow us to go everywhere else. If I'm being honest, I think there might be a few ethics questions when it comes to just, like, if you're going to permanently live there when it comes to moving to different planets. Because, again, I don't know how it came back to this, but when we were first discovering countries, we, I guess you could say we had a tool bag, toolbox we brought with us every time so we could elect presidents and mayors, senators, and that kept peace. But when we're going to a whole new planet, we won't be able to bring that tool bag with. Yeah, so that's an interesting question. I'm glad that you brought up the, the concept of ethics in space exploration, and especially once we're starting to go to other planets. Um, the one that you mentioned is, is certainly part of that. When exploration has happened in the past on Earth, 
Um, whether it was thousands of years ago or hundreds of years ago during the colonial period, there have been a lot of issues with it. There, We can look back at our history and definitely say that the way that things happened with exploration were problematic in a lot of ways. Um, and hopefully that will help us to learn how to not do that in the future with future exploration. But one piece that does make it simpler with space exploration is that there aren't already um, communities living in the areas that we would be expanding to. So, for example, as far as we know, there aren't any sentient beings living on Mars. <laughs> Unless they're just really good at hiding. I hate to break it to you. There aren't any little green guys running around on, on Mars, which is a bummer. But it does mean that we aren't going to be facing the same ethical misconduct that we have in the, in the past of exploration. However, yeah, that, that would probably be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, think about it. Humans have always, I guess you could say, been in charge on the planet. So if we move to a whole new planet, like everyone, and there was, it was already occupied, that would be kind of a problem. Just walking in and being like, what do we do now? Wow. You know what, Lily? I'm going to send you a list of books because there are a lot of really, really great science fiction books out there that discuss that exact situation of what happens if we were to expand somewhere and it was already occupied and how would we peacefully coexist with aliens thankfully or maybe not thankfully i don't know that's not something we have to worry about right now but another another important ethical concern that we do have is um whether or not we really have the right to change other planets whether or not we should be, you know, going places and making changes to them or going places and potentially bringing maybe accidentally, maybe on purpose, earth bacteria or earth organisms or whatnot to other planets. And so that's a, that's a big question in the astrobiology community constantly being asked is, should we, should we really be doing this or not? And I don't have the answers for that. I think everyone has, has their own opinions on it. It's a very complicated topic. Yeah, and how old were you when you learned about Mars? Um, so I probably, I'd learned about Mars when I was about five or six years old, but I started to really learn more about Mars and think about why it would be important to our future in space when I was about eight years old. And that's when I, that's when I, learned more than just, you know, Mars is a planet in the sky that we can see and um, started to focus more into how Mars is similar to Earth and what we can learn from Mars about Earth's past and what we can look for on Mars as far as the possibilities of life, um, how Mars could potentially uh, be habitable someday, you know, those types of things. Really started to learn those when I was about eight years old. You're right. Even even if it's just, I don't know, a ripped up poster on the floor, there is always something to be learned. Absolutely. There's always something to be learned. Always something to be gained. <laughs> and that's, you know, everything, everything can teach us something. And Mars has a lot waiting for us to learn there. Uh, there's, there's so much, so many, so many unasked questions 
that Mars has the answers to. And so it's up to it's up to you and me, Lily. It's up to our generation to go ahead and to start a- asking those questions and then finding the answers for them. Um, we are truly living in the golden age of space exploration because we're going to see things like Mars exploration really take off. So it's an exciting it's an exciting time to be alive for sure. Is it true? I think I heard this on the news or a podcast or something that in 2025 that's when people will act more than like four four or five people will actually be sent to Mars. I'm glad that you asked that. There's a lot of a lot of different ideas out there about what the timeline of getting to or from Mars should be about when we should start sending humans, um, when we're capable of sending humans. And some groups are claiming that, you know, 2025 is it. Some are saying, you know, the 2030. Some are saying within the decade of the 2030s. And that's the one that I more get behind. That's what I support is somewhere in the decade of the 2030s is when we likely will and should send humans to Mars. Because the fact of the matter is that right now, 2018, we're almost in 2018, even if we had the capability to send humans to Mars, let's say we had the rocket power to do that, which hopefully within a couple years with something called the Space Launch System, which NASA is currently developing, we will have the power to get there. There's so much more involved in a human mission to Mars than just having the the propellant power to get there. There's things like landing. Um, it's, it's really, really complicated to land on the surface of Mars. We saw that with the last rover that we sent down, Curiosity, which had uh, was about the size of a Volkswagen Beetle, you know, those cars. And that was the largest thing we've ever landed on Mars. And it took a lot of finagling by a lot of engineers and a lot of scientists to make that work. And so if we're going to land crafts that have humans in them and have human supplies and all the things necessary, that's going to be a lot bigger than the what Curiosity rover was. And so we need to figure that out. We need to figure out how to protect our astronauts from radiation on a trip to Mars, on Mars, and from Mars. We need to figure out how to protect them from microgravity um, and the, the effects that that has on the human body as, as the amount of time that we spend in it is prolonged. We need to figure out how to you know um, take care of the psychological effects of a trip to Mars. What, what's going to happen when we remove humans so fully from even being able to see Earth? How is that going to affect them? Um, we need to figure out how to send, you know, grow and process and send food and water and other necessary consumables with astronauts to and from Mars. So there's all kinds of things that we're still working on right now that we definitely have the ability to create and to figure out but I would say that the question should remains. Yeah, that the 2020s are still a little bit early of when we're going to be capable of safely sending and returning humans to and from Mars. And so it's it's more realistic to look at it and say, you know, if we if we shoot for the 2030s, that gives us time to figure out all of these things, gives us time to find the answers to all of those questions of how do we protect and support human life on the way to and from Mars. It's quite amazing that to think that one day we people will be living on the red planet. Just think, like, a parent telling their kid, like, say, in a park, looking up at the night sky, saying, 
that's Mars and people live there. Right. Or the opposite of that, a family living on Mars in a thousand years who look up at the night sky and see Earth and say, you know, look, look, Lily, that's Earth. People live there. Um, it's absolutely phenomenal to think about that, isn't isn't it? Yeah, and I've been wondering, like, say, I don't know, 5,000, maybe even a million years, depending on global warming, if, if people, when they're moving to Mars and if we start actually sending people to live on planets other than Mars, I think that, well, I hope that people won't forget that their original home is Earth, because it would be so weird to think, say, Saturn, people living on Saturn, and saying, that's Earth, and people from Mars started sending people in spaceships to live there. That would be so weird if all the history just got kind of turned inside out. (laughs) That would be quite weird, wouldn't it? That would be very weird. And hopefully, here's the thing, that we need to make sure that we protect our planet, that we protect Earth, that we take care of Earth over the next coming, you know, decades and centuries so that we can continue to have people living on Earth so that even as we expand throughout the rest of the universe and, you know, maybe in a thousand years from now have people living on Mars or elsewhere, that we'll still have humans and society and culture here on Earth. But that's 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 up to us. That's up to the next couple of uh, of decades to see whether or not we can take care of our planet well enough that that's possible. If you ask me, I mean, if I'm being honest, I think humans have completely trashed Earth, and that global warming will probably make a big impact on if humans will even be alive in like the next thousand years, humans period. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, we, we don't have to, a lot of times people ask about cosmic events that might wipe out humanity, things like a, a massive solar radiation flare or being hit by an like an asteroid or something like that, or the explosion of the sun. But the probability of those things happening and the time span on which those would happen makes it so very unlikely that we really don't have to worry so much about those. What we do need to worry about is what we're doing right now and how we're treating Earth, because that's what's more likely to be harmful to humanity in the long run. And something that, you know, the more we think about it and the more we talk about it, hopefully the better at taking care of our planet will become. Is there anyone you would like to join you, like you as an individual on your trip to Mars, as in same space shuttle, all of that? (laughs) Who would I put on my crew? Um, (laughs) Yes. Hmm. I'd probably take my cat. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to want to pick anyone yet because there are so many amazing, like just absolutely phenomenal young people who I have met over the last couple of years and who I hope to meet in the next couple of years who want to be astronauts or want to be scientists or want to be engineers. And I could see any number of them being crewmates on the missions to Mars. Um, and so I, I, I wouldn't pick out any one in particular, but I would say that young people today who are aspiring to become astronauts, I look forward to seeing you in space in the future. Well, that's a very nice commentary. And I don't blame you for saying, to, for saying your cat. 
Cats are wonderful. <laughs> Cats are wonderful. Yeah. I'm a little biased also because she's sitting on my lap purring right now. So um, <laughs> how can I how can I not want to bring my cat with me? She's uh, she's pretty great. Cats are amazing. Fluffy, cute angels. <laughs> that they are. Well, Lily, you have asked some really wonderful questions. And I've so enjoyed getting to talk to you and hear some of your thoughts about space as well. Thank you for thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. And before you go, I have one last. Yes, absolutely. Do you have any advice to any kids who want to be astronauts or scientists, engineers when they grow up? Absolutely. So my first piece of advice is stay in school, (laughs) which (laughs) sounds so... um, Teacherly. Yeah, it sounds teacherly and it sounds like, you know, I I feel like an old curmudgeonly person when I say that. (laughs) But it's so absolutely true that the most important thing that you can be doing as you reach towards a, a goal or a dream, like being an astronaut or a scientist or an engineer, is to really focus on school and focus on what excites you in school and what what you're passionate about and what makes school fun for you and fun and exciting because you have a lot of school in your future. And so, (laughs) yep, I'm just going to put it out there. Years and years and years and years of school ahead of you. And so it's important that you find out how to make that fun and that you really appreciate the, you know, the opportunity that we have to, to learn so much about our world. Because most kids don't even get to, I don't know, like see what a school looks like in their whole lives. Yeah, because there's a lot of people who don't have the opportunities to be in school who would love to. And because the time and effort that you put in in school as a kid, as a teenager, as an adult, it will only improve your future. Like, only good things will come out of spending more and more time thinking about and focusing on school. Now, the flip side of that, the other piece of advice that I would give to students who want to become astronauts or scientists or engineers is to not forget about the rest of the world because school is super important and it is, you know, definitely something to focus on. But there is so much else out there in the world that's also really important. So make sure that, you know, you're not only focusing on school, that you go out and that you're playing a sport and that you're seeing things in the real world and that you're involved in, in other things that, that interest you, that maybe you're in theater or um, painting or something like that. Just, just finding other things that, you know, you really enjoy as well. So if you, if you, can, if you can balance those two you're 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 solid well thank you it was so nice to meet you well thank you so much lily it was great to talk with you and you ask very good questions and are a wonderful interviewer Mm -hmm.